Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. I am having one heck of a morning. I just got 20 minutes into the podcast and one of my dogs was barking in the background. And when I got up to see what was going on, I dropped my earphones on the power supply for my computer and turned the computer off. And then when I went to recover the podcast, it's telling me I can't read it. So it's it's one of those mornings. So I'm about to redo the whole first 20 minutes of this again. So hopefully it's even better the second time. So anyway, the way we were originally going to kick this one off was just to let everybody know that it's been asking. I did We did get the house, which was, woo, that was a nightmare leading up to that. Talk about just it was it became like a comedy of errors and there was one point Billy and I looked at each other like the night before like this isn't going to happen it isn't going to go through uh, I as I mentioned before I left my original teaching job I was starting my new job but there was a little gap in between a four day gap because one job would only start me on a Friday so I had a few days off in between well what happened was the day before the closing the bank called my original school to make sure I still work there. And guess what? I don't. So all of a sudden they're scrambling because it looks like I'm unemployed. They asked, well, where is he currently working? And we're like, well, it's kind of funny. We don't start for another day. And we thought we weren't going to get it there, but they got it all hashed out. My bank agent was, a mortgage agent was amazing. So then the morning comes where we're supposed to go to sign the papers, obviously have the closing and I'm meeting Billy in a parking ride and we're going to go from there. And I have my son Kale in the car with me who can get motion sick. So at one point we're driving and I looking back and he looks a little, little queasy. So I'm like, hey buddy, just take a nap, you know, close your eyes, whatever. You're okay. He's like, yeah, I'm okay. Well, we get to the exit or two exits before the one I'm supposed to take to get to this closing. We're already running, not late, but not as early as I would have hoped. And it, there's standstill traffic. It is backed up. Traffic is not moving. So I take a back, I take an exit. I try to take back roads to get to where we're going. I'm freaking out because now we're starting, it's getting to the point where we're going to be running late pretty soon. And I just hear him vomit all over the back of the car. So it was like, a, it just kept coming. So I, I text Billy, like, I don't know what to do because the big thing, obviously, one of the symptoms of COVID is the, you know, being sick and I've had, you know, I've gone to the, a doctor's appointment recently and they're like, have you been throwing up at all? They're like, that's one of the questions they asked. And I was afraid that if we came in there and had a son who had obviously just vomited, they were just going to throw us out and that was going to be the end of the closing and we're going to lose the house. So luckily, as it all went down, we got in the parking lot. I went in and told the lawyer, listen, he was car sick in the car. It was just car sick. He doesn't have COVID. They're like, totally fine. So I went and signed my papers. Billy signed hers and we were done. So it was kind of a weird closing because usually when you close a house, you immediately go to the new house and you take your keys and you open it up and you run through and the house echoes and you're like this is our new home and we have to wait a little while till the people get out but supposedly they will they're looking to be out by October that would be great because again we can't wait to get in there it's the weirdest thing owning a home and not yet being in it or even having being able to go to it so it did go through I thank I, I apologize for beginning a podcast like this but it, it does it's the reason why I've been so stressed out lately. It's the reason why I kind of forgot one day to post, or I swear I did post the podcast, but it didn't go through, and why I've been so behind on videos and such. And I think it's once we get in there, it's going to be a lot of huge, really good changes for the podcast and the channel. So anyway, done with that. You won't hear about it anymore until we're moving in. You'll probably hear me whining about it then, but uh, that that's it. We got it. It's all good. So thank you for all the, the well wishes, and uh, we can finally stop talking about the new house stuff. So for to kick today's episode off, the actual episode episode there is an article now that has been running it's popped up on my google feed but basically scientists discover surprising reasons why tarantulas come in vivid blues and greens i've had people ask me many 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 times why do you think tarantulas come in blue it doesn't make any sense and i think we all come from it 
from the same angle. It's like you think about them being in the wild and the blue serves no real purpose because usually if you look at like Pisolotheria species, for example, that cryptic pattern they have helps them blend in beautifully with bark when they're on trees. They blend in perfectly. Somebody had posted a picture not that long ago where tried to spot the pokey in here and it was so difficult to see the spider laid across because the patterning works perfectly with all the nooks and crannies of the bark. And you would assume that if a creature was to evolve a certain type of color variant, especially one like, you know, blue, there would be a purpose for it. And most of us always think in terms of camouflage. And it obviously, if you look out and I look at a tree, I'm staring at a tree across the way now. If I put, I say, a piece of Lotharia, I don't know, Vitata on that tree, I wouldn't be able to see it. Now, I put P. metallica on the tree, which is obviously a vibrant blue with the yellow, and I'm going to be able to pick that one up. So what is the point? A lot of us wondered, why would nature allow these guys to evolve in such a way that would make them much easier to spot in the wild? You know, predators, whether it be birds or whatever's feeding on them, humans even, humans that are traipsing through the woods trying to pick up animals to sell into the pet trade, makes them much easier to spot. So here is, I'm going to give the rundown. I probably won't read the entire article, but I did think it was interesting to say the least, and they had a couple discoveries that are kind of neat. Researchers from Yale College and Carnegie Mellon University have discovered that tarantulas have the ability to see and color color, contrary to previous thought, and suggest functions for their green and blue coloration. So right off the bat, we now think that they can, or know, apparently it's been proven, that they can see in colors. A lot is made of the fact that tarantulas don't have particularly great eyesight, and a lot has been said about them being probably colorblind over the years. So that was one of the reasons why Folks, when they talk about the color variants, would go, well, it wouldn't have any purpose as far as breeding, because obviously with some animals, you have the very vibrant males that attract the females. And I'm thinking in terms of like, if this were going to be spiders, Pamphibedius, for example, the males, like I'm thinking my Pamphibedius species, Duran, the male was like almost a bright, it was almost pink or fuchsia, and the female was darker. So if that were the case, and they could spot color, maybe that's the point of having those colors. So... Why are some tarantulas so vividly colored? Scientists have puzzled over why these large, hairy spiders, active primarily during the evening and at nighttime, would sport such vibrant blue and green coloration, especially as they were long thought to be unable to differentiate between colors, let alone process true color vision. In a recent study, researchers from Yale College and Carnegie Mellon University find support for a new hypothesis that these vibrant blue colors may be used to communicate between potential mates, while green coloration confers the ability to conceal among foliage. Their research also suggests that tarantulas are not as colorblind as previously believed, and that these arachnids may be able to perceive the bright blue tones on their bodies. The study was published on the Proceedings of the Royal Society B on September 23, 2020, and is featured on the front cover of the current September 30, 2020 issue. So right there, there's the breeding part that apparently the thought is now that these blue colors are, they are able to see the blue colors and that it could help with breeding, attracting mates, which I find interesting. We'll get a little more into this as we go through the article. And then as for the green, this one was kind of a no brainer because I think the majority of us recognize, and I've, I've spoken to other keepers over the years where we've talked about the fact that you would expect there to be a lot more green tarantulas. They're, they're not, seems to be one of the rarer of the colors of tarantulas. Tarantulas, 
Yet it seems like in as far as having a useless, uh, useful coloration, green would be right up there to the top because it's going to help you tr- uh, camouflage well, especially for, say, arboreal species. Obviously, having a green tarantula in an arid region where there isn't a lot of verdant green for it to hide amongst wouldn't make a lot of sense. But definitely, like, picture Caribbean versicolor. You know, they, they've got the blues, the purplish, the reds. What doesn't really help it camouflage, wherein if it were greens and darker shades of greens and brown and such would help it really blend into the background. Another one I can think of, uh, Salmapius cambridgei, another one that has that greenish brown tone that really helps it blend in with, you know, those natural tones of like woods and trees and such. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, what isn't explained, unfortunately, in the article is why there are so few that have developed these these green tones. So to continue with the article, the team also found that the evolution of green coloration appears to depend on whether the species in question is arboreal, tree-dwelling, suggesting that this color likely functions in camouflage. And this is a quote, while the precise function of blueness remains unclear, our results suggest that tarantulas may be able to see these blue displays, so mate choice is likely potential explanation. We have set an impetus for future projects to include a behavioral element to fully explore these hypotheses. And it is very exciting to consider how further studies will build upon our results, said Dr. Foley. The team survey of the presence of blue and green coloration across tarantulas turned up more interesting results. They found that the blue coloration has been lost more frequently than it has gained across tarantulas. The losses are mainly in species living in the Americas and Oceania, while many of the gains are in Old World, European, Asian, and African species. They also found that the green coloration has evolved only a few times, but never lost. Our finding that blueness was lost multiple times in New World, while regained in Old, is very intriguing. This leaves several fascinating avenues for future research, when considering how the ecological pressures in the New and Old Worlds vary, said Dr. Sarah Nathan. For instance, one hypothesis would be differences in light environments of the habitats between new and the old world, which can affect how these colors might be perceived, if indeed they can be, as our results suggest. So, a lot of interesting facts in here, and I think for those of us who have always kind of looked at our beautiful blue spiders and pondered, why are they blue? We kind of have an answer now, and I also like the fact they mentioned that some species have lost that blue. There might have been more tarantulas that had that blue, which again would point, for those of us who have often wondered why would you have, why would nature allow them to evolve such beautiful colorations, especially if it made them stand out to predators and such, that kind of indicates that, well, nature at least at some point, realized that it wasn't working out and the they de-evolved to no longer have the blues. And the fact that there's more of the blue in the old world species as opposed to new world species is quite fascinating as well. I also like the fact that they found that apparently when they develop that green coloration, they don't lose it. So some of them have developed the blue, but then over the years have lost the blue. So apparently nature has determined that that's not a very good color, at least for whatever that area is or for that species, whatever it may be. But for the green, when they have it, they have And that makes sense because that would be one of those things as it's going through genetic triggers, they develop that green, it helps them camouflage, it would help them hunt better to find prey, especially being ambush predators, it would keep them away from predators that are going to eat them. A lot of cool stuff there. So I really, again, the, the fact that they can see color I thought was pretty interesting. The mating idea is an interesting one. I would like to hear more about that. I mean, that's one of the ones... 
when they finally came up with the idea that, you know what, it's a, it, it might be a mating thing. They can see color. If they can see the color, then there's a use within the species. So even though we might look at it and go, why are they so blue? This could be something, I don't know, I'm just pulling this out of my head here. With Pisolotheria metallica, it allows them to spot mates from a longer distance. I don't know. It'd be. I really hope they continue with the research. I'd really like to hear. I mean, this would be something I'd be watching, you know, keeping a close eye on to try to, you know, Find out once and for all, why do we have these beautiful colorations? And obviously, it doesn't stop at blue. Blue seems to be, we're all obsessed with the blue tarantulas. That goes without saying. I think the majority of people that I show pictures of tarantulas to, it's the blue ones that they are like, I can't believe that even exists. I think a lot of us have remarked over the years that the first blue spider we saw was, you know, whether it be the cobalt blue or whether it be the P. metallica, the goody ornamental, it blew our minds. We were like, wow, I can't believe they exist in this color. So I think we're all obsessed with them and all dying to know, all right, why did they come in these colors? So now we have an idea. Now at least we have an hypothesis that says it might be something to do with mating. I, again, there's so much juicy stuff in there that I'm trying to mull it over. And I read the article earlier this week and I'm reading it again now and it's just my brain keeps going because there's, it, answers some questions it puts a hype a couple hypotheses out there but then again it leaves a lot of questions the old world new world thing what's the deal why are, i mean i would guess if you look at new world species if you look at a fauna palma brachypalma gramostola and you look at the colorations they're muted they have those you know again they have the reds and stuff but they're more muted tones maybe that's to help them blend better with the more arid surroundings i i don't know it, obviously some of them are in spots too where they have foliage so why wouldn't they develop green i just so many, again, I'm left with more questions and answers, unfortunately. But for those of us who have pondered this one, we finally have, there are people actually looking into it. It blows my mind that there are actually folks out there that are going, all right, apparently they were inquisitive, as inquisitive as some of us are, and said, you know what, let's try to figure out why the heck are there blue tarantulas. So now when somebody asks me again, and I usually get this one asked on a video or you know a comment once a month or so, somebody will go, can you explain to me why they're in blue? And I had to go, I have no idea. I, I honestly couldn't. Somebody brought up the mating thing before, and I'm like, eh, I just don't see that. They can't see well enough anyway. It doesn't seem like it would work. Because you think of like, obviously when they you think of mating, you think of the peacock spider with the bright colors, and that attracts the female. And so it, I guess if you think about it, if they can see color, that does make sense that that could be something to do. That might, that might right there, if you think of species that the females are more drab and the males are more brightly colored. Again, the pamphos, the, in some cases for mictopus species, that could be something that, that, you know, the females catch that male out in the sun, the resplendent sunlight. They catch those fuchsias and they're like, yeah, he's going to be mine. Who knows? So hopefully they continue. I, I want to hear more about this. I'm fascinated by it. Please feel free to chime in. Lewis, if you're out there listening, and uh, feel free to chime in and shoot me an email or shoot me a text and let me know what your thoughts are on it. Lewis gets a lot of the papers and everything, and he might have seen the actual paper. This is just an article about the paper. I've not read the paper itself. Definitely want to talk more about this in the future, and hopefully there is more to talk about. All right, so moving on to our next topic, I'm going to apologize in advance. I received an email where somebody suggested this topic. I wrote there, I, what, basically what I have is on my desk, and I think I've alluded to this before. I have my computer desk, and I basically have all these notes. What I need to do is buy a darn notebook and have it here to write my notes in, but I write notes, like something will come up, and I just jot down notes on a piece of paper. And I have them all stacked up here, and I usually, if I'm looking for something, I can go shuffle through this stack of notes and find what I'm looking for. Well, unfortunately, with the whole moving thing, I cleaned off my drawing desk, or my computer desk the other day, 
and I thought I saved everything. I cannot find this. It was a question and the person to ask it. So if you come forward and tell me, yes, I was the one that suggested this. I can't. I had written it down too so that I could read the question accurately and quote him. And I can't find it. And I just tried to find the email and I can't find it. So yes, Tom's big disorganized spiders here. I apologize. So if you are the one who asked this question, email me. There was two different, one was on a comment on a video, but the, the question in the email, I did respond and said, that's a great idea. And I wanted to mention you by name. And now here we are and I can't find anything. So I'm probably going to butcher your question. And unfortunately, I'm not able to say your name. But the general cons- the, the general idea of it, and again, I can't quote it, was the fact that are there species that may disappear from the hobby? Are there species that I worry we will not see in, you know, five, ten years? And somebody else asked the same question. It was on a video for a species that I absolutely adored. It ended up becoming impacted and died, and I can't find them anywhere. But they asked, why aren't these in the hobby more? Why can't anybody find these? And the answer is for the most part, rather simple. So the one that that came up in the video was the Eulathus parvulus, E. parvulus. It, it, it was one I had. I can't remember the name of it, the common name. And I apologize because somebody emailed and they made a very, very good point. They said, I'm a beginner. I love your podcast. They're very beginner accessible. However, you don't use common names and I get confused. And I, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. And part of the problem is I don't remember while I'm talking and I'm kind of Spewing out stuff, I can't recall the common names sometimes, so I apologize. I am trying to be more cognizant of it. I'm jotting down names now when I know I'm going to be talking about a species during a podcast, so I'll make sure I throw those in there. But I can't remember this one for the life of me. But anyway, it was an awesome, gorgeous spider. I picked him up from Jamie's, her up from Jamie's tarantulas many, many years ago, as like I believe she was about three inches or so. And unfortunately, she became impacted. It, she died. She did not make it. It was devastating. And I've never been able to find another one. They had them at Netbug, I believe had them. But what happened was a lot of the Chilean species were wild-caught adults. So a lot of the hobbies, uh, Eulathus parvulus, you'd see them all the time. They were usually young adults because they were snatched out of the wild. Unfortunately, again, not a good thing, and I'm not a proponent of that. The big one would be the H. chilensis is one that used to see adults all the time, adults and juveniles. Again, they were pulled right out of the wild, not a good thing. So Chile closed its borders as far as they weren't letting people pluck stuff out anymore, as they should. But unfortunately, some of these species you don't find anymore. So in the case of H. chilensis, people started breeding them. They it, it was tough at first and they were struggling with breeding them, but we do get every once in a while, we get some captive bred slings. I think of the majority of ours, unfortunately, at least in the United States are imported from Europe, but they are being bred. They are out there and hopefully there's enough of them to at least sustain this species in the hobby for the long run. Now, are there ever going to be an overabundance of them? No. Are they ever going to be a spider that drops down to like, you know, back in the day you used to be able to get some species for like five ten dollars absolutely not they're too difficult to find and i i would say two to three times a week i get an email from people asking hey i I know you probably got your special connections can you can you tell me where i can get some h talensis babies and i'm like no i don't a i don't really have special connections and b i can't find them either i'm looking for slings myself because my female's getting old and i got a funny feeling she's on the decline so i'd really love to raise some of these up but there's a species right there that They closed down the borders. We weren't able to get the adults, but people had enough adults who were able to find some out there and were able to breed them, and hopefully they will stay in the hobby. Now, in the case of Eulathus parvulus, 
Unfortunately, nobody was able to find males or they were unsuccessful in breeding them. And now this species is basically non-existent in the U.S. hobby. Now, I will tell you a selfish motivation for this is every time I put out a podcast and talk about something, somebody will come forward and go, nah, that's not true. I'm hoping to get some nah, that's not trues on some of the spiders I'm about to mention today because they're ones I would absolutely, I would jump all over slings from these guys. I need some slings from these guys because I wanted, I had it on my first beginner species list because I thought it was at that time you could find them I thought it was a unique species and I had it in my mind that somebody's going to eventually breed these things and therein lies the issue today are there going to be species that disappear from the hobby at least from different parts of the hobby so for example could there be species that disappear from the U.S. hobby yeah I believe there will be some I believe we've already seen situations where some have disappeared from the hobby like for example Ulaphilus parvulus where you can no longer get them and part of it is and again this could differ from country to country and region to region because I know in Europe there is there's a lot of breeding going on we just had a Google chat with some of my patrons the other day and we were talking about how in the UK at least right now they are able to buy from all different countries and get them shipped to their door within a day it's kind like United, if you think of the United States, the United States are just a collection of little countries. I always thought of it this way, 50 little countries. So we can just trade freely amongst ourselves. We can sell. There's no problem. It's kind of like that over there in Europe where they're able to get stuff from Poland, for example. They see somebody selling something in Poland. They can get them in. They have a lot bigger reach as far as where they can get their spiders from, which means that there's, and, and plus there's smaller countries overall. The United States were a little more sprawling than, say, you know, England. And over here, we've, we've got a lot more. The hobby is huge. The hobby is enormous. And it's, and it's gaining momentum. It's gaining steam. It's, it's growing each and every day. I mean, it's grown in leaps and bounds since even I got into it. And we have a hard time keeping everybody, you know, happy and satisfied with the species they can get. And then we have to get them from Europe. So when you look at that, I think in Europe, it's going to be a little easier. Although with Brexit, I've heard that for some countries, it's going to be a little more difficult to get some of these. But it's going to be, overall, it'll be easier to find species over there, which is why we always get ours from you guys. Over here, things are going to disappear. Things are flat out going to disappear. I, I look at the parvulus. I'm still, uh, they had one, I remember mine died and I was kind of like, I won't say in mourning, but I was really upset about it. And they had one left and at Netbug and I was trying to, I didn't have the money at the time. Like I got to pick this one up and somebody snatched it up. Somebody probably saw my video and went, oh, I'm grabbing this one up. So I didn't get one. I would love to have that one. Another one, E. Pachypus, stout leg baboon. They're an African species. They are gloriously cute little baboons. We came out with the feed them the other day and both of them were out and about and they're one of the ones I always call Billy over because I'm obsessed with them little cute like I won't say dwarf species but they're probably about four inches their back legs are big they remind me of Pan the Greek god or demigod or whatever it is somebody correct me on that but the little goat guy he's got the furry legs with the human body and little horns they've got those big back furry legs absolutely love them but nobody's ever been able they're imported unfortunately from Africa. They're not, they, what everybody thinks was happening for years is that the females would get caught and they'd sell them into the hobby, but the males looked so different that nobody was grabbing the males. They didn't think they were the same species, so they weren't finding their way into the hobby. Or you figure if they found a male out roaming, it's not going to last very long anyway. So all we were getting for quite some time are females and there's no males to breed and that is I'm always checking for somebody to have slings of these guys because I'm hoping at some point somebody gets some slings we get males we start breeding them because more people need to have these if 
I was doing, you know, eventually I'll go ahead and do some of the, you know, suggestions for beginner old world species. This one would be right on the top. It's almost not even fair to count it as an old world species because they're so laid back. It almost wouldn't prepare you for anything. It's one of these ones like, yeah, technically I have a new, an old world spider, but they're so calm. They're so cute. They, when you catch them out of their holes, they just calmly turn around and they go right back down their hole. They don't, I've never had one bolt. I've never had a threat posture. Again, maybe somebody out there has one that's different, but from my experience and having, you know, when I sought these out originally, it was after looking for, you know, searching beginner old world species, and this one kept getting mentioned. They are wonderful spiders, but I told Billy the other day, I look at these girls, what happens when they go? I can't get any more of them, and they're one of my favorites in my collection, and that makes me sad, really. The other day, I did have some hope where somebody on one of my videos posted on the EPAC, an old EPACIPUS video, and said... I got some slings of these guys coming. I can't wait. And I freaked. And I immediately came back. I was like, oh my gosh, what country are you in? I'm praying they're in the United States. I got a funny feeling they're in Europe. But if they are in Europe, I'm going to contact some of the people that buy from Europe and import and see if they can't get a hold of them because I would kill to have slings of these guys. Uh, I guess a few years ago on Arachnoboard, somebody had a sack of slings too, but they sold out quickly. So hopefully these guys start getting bred. But again, it's I, it's very conceivable that at some point, if we don't get some males into the hobby, we're not going to see them. And part of it is obviously it's supply and demand. If there is a species of spider that there is a huge supply for, people are going to go out of their way to breed them. So for example, two that come right up, right off the top of my head, and they were two of the first I ever bought at Slings, the C. Cayenne pubescens, or the GBB, the green bottle blue, and the Carabina Versicolor, or Antilles Pink Toe. Two species that will forever be in demand. People love these guys. It doesn't matter how many we, we produce over here. It doesn't matter how many we import. They can still command a decent price. They still sell like hotcakes. And as a result, these are species that people pick up with the intent to breed. I can't tell you how many people will email me and tell me, yep, I just got a GBB, sex ads, female, can't wait to breed her. Just got C versus calm. Hoping I get a female because I want a breeder. There, The demand is there and people know it and they see that there's not a lot of them out there or not enough to keep everybody satisfied, so they want to breed. But unfortunately, some of these other species fly under the radar in that respect and they don't get the attention they maybe deserve because obviously if, if somebody breeds something, and it doesn't sell out and nobody's buying it because there's no interest in it and they're stuck with it, guess what? They're not going to breed it again. And then that's where we get a situation where they kind of start to disappear from the hobby. I was talking to a keeper the other day and we were talking about the P. murinus. And way back in the day, the P. murinus that was the popular one that was here was a browner species. It was They have different color variations. There's a bunch of them now and I'm not familiar with all of them. I was looking it up the other day. Not familiar enough to bust into it, but there's a lot of different color variations and regional variations of the P. murinus. Now, we all say the P. Murinus, everybody immediately pictures the OBT or the orange baboon tarantula because those are the ones that became quite popular when people suddenly went, wait a minute, you're telling me this brown spider over here comes in orange? Heck yeah, I'm onto that. And what happened was for a while in the United States, you couldn't find the brown variant anymore. That was the normal one. That was the standard model, so to speak. And those disappeared and all we had was the orange ones, which again, one of my favorite spiders, love the OBTs. But I remember getting into the hobby, finding out about the brown ones, trying to find them, and nobody had them. And then somebody got them in several years ago. I went to buy one. They sold out 
very quickly, and I haven't seen them much since. So that's one that, it, for a while, it was completely gone from the hobby. You didn't see it very often, if, if at all, and it was kind of a shame because it was a spider that was around and kind of popular for a bit. Now, as far as the moving on to P. Murinus, the OBT, the orange variant, that's a species I don't think it's going to disappear, but I will say when I first got serious in the hobby and started buying, they were a dime a dozen. As a matter of fact, a lot of people would get theirs as freebies because everybody had them in stock and they were super cheap. I remember one of the first orders I ever placed for slings, the freebie for buying only $50 worth was an OBT, or you could buy one for like six bucks. So super cheap, readily available. And it seems like over time, I noticed the prices start going up and it seems like people just aren't breeding them as much anymore. Part of it, again, it's the hobby was flooded with them. And people that were spending their time breeding spiders probably realize there's no money in this because I'm getting pennies for all the babies that I'm producing. It's not worth my time. So they stop breeding. They move on to other species. And then next thing you know it, there was a point where I went to pick up some slings. I'm like, you know, I'll buy a couple OBT slings, raise them up because I love the species. I'd like to raise some more up again. And I remember going out there and nobody had them. And I was like, this is really odd because back in the day, you couldn't go to any dealer you went to had plenty of them, usually different. There were one of those spiders, almost like the LP where they don't just have one listing for them. They have like three or four. They're like, here we have our half inch ones. Here we have our one inch ones. Here we have our one and a half inch ones. Here we have our sex adults. There was all different sizes because they always had them on hand because they couldn't get rid of them. And then suddenly they were nowhere. And I remember freaking out a little bit and saying to Billy, like, I can't believe I can't find these guys anywhere because they used to be just so prevalent. So there's a, a situation with a species that was readily bred was very prevalent in the hobby, was easy to come by, and now is a little more difficult to come by because, you know, times have changed. I do think part of that is because we've done such a good job warning people that they're not beginner spiders. I think some of the stigma has finally worn off a bit, so people aren't running out there grabbing them just to go to their friends. Hey, look at I have this spider that's called the orange bitey thing, and it's creepy as heck, and it'll bite your face off. They don't have that anymore to drive them to do it, so I think we, we lost some people there, which is probably for the best. But I... It's a good example of how quickly things can change in a hobby when people decide that the demand isn't there for something and they stop breeding it. So I've had somebody, I had a conversation a while back with somebody and they're like, yeah, I think the hobby can sustain itself. And I'm like, I, I disagree. I worry all the time that some of these spiders, you know, are going to disappear from the hobby. They're not going to be bred. We have situations now with certain countries starting to close off their borders or starting to push back at the fact that we are selling spiders that were probably stolen or pilfered from the wild there. That's another thing that could put the kibosh on a lot of species, which would make them more difficult to come by. The big one now that I'm absolutely terrified about losing or the big the genus I'm most worried about, Pisolotheria species, because having spoken to some dealers over the years, I always thought everybody everybody bought these things. I always thought they were super popular. And then come to find out, no, they're not the greatest sellers in the world because a lot of people shy away from them because they have that terrible reputation. It's like you get beginners aren't going to pick them up. They're terrified of them. You get intermediate keepers, people have been in for a while. A lot of them will contact me and say, I'm not ready for one of those. You get some advanced keepers that get into the, that have been in the hobby for a while. They go, yep, yeah, I've kept just about everything. Not ready for the pokies yet. So that's a very small percentage of the people left that are actually out there buying these. And I think those of us who love them go out and try to buy them all. It's like the Pokemon thing. I just spoke to somebody that has all the species of it and I'm so jealous but that represents a small portion of the hobby overall, which means they don't sell very well, which means people that breathe them are going to have a hard time moving them, although they do command a decent price. You know, I don't see slings. Back when I was first buying them, the slings, you could sometimes find for like 20 bucks, and now it's like the cheapest I see them, at least in the U.S. Again, I know that European folks are going to come in and go, man, they're only, you know, five over here. 
over here, they're a little more expensive. It's because they're harder to come by. And now we have, you know, the Sri Lankan species you're not allowed to sell across state lines. So I worry in like my little state of Connecticut, we're not going to see these species. I can't find a lot of these Sri Lankan species. And I have to admit, as somebody who would like to breed, I have to take into account that I don't might not have a place to sell these. I don't know if there are enough keepers in my tiny little state that would want these to warrant breeding them. So then look what happens. You start getting deterred from breeding and that's going to make the situation even worse. So piece Letheria, definitely spiders that I worry about. I think they'll always be, obviously the good thing is if anything ever changes over here and the laws change and we're able to import them, it sounds like overseas, you guys are in great shape with these. In the U.S., I really worry. Not sure about Canada so much. You can chime in. And folks in the Philippines that are listening to this, I know you guys get a lot of diverse things in, but sometimes you have trouble finding certain species. Not sure if Pisolotheria are among them. So should we be concerned that some of these species won't be around in 5, 10, 20 years? I, I think we should. I think especially the folks in the United States, those of us who are in the United States, we see how quickly the tides can change as far as, hey, a certain species from a certain country, we can easily, we can sell, we can trade, they've been in the hobby for years, and then all of a sudden, that country pushes back a little bit, and our laws kick in, and suddenly we're looking at, you know, species bans from a lot, of, for a lot of different species. That's terrifying. That could easily become a nightmare scenario over here, where we are not able to sustain our own hobby. At, you know, as it is, we have to import everything in. As soon as some of these species are flagged, we're not able to import them. That means we can only trade in within the country. In some cases, we can't even trade between states, which means every state has to rely on its own breeders and own population of these species to legally get them into the hobby. That's a terrifying situation. That's going to lead to a point where we're going to see a lot of species disappear from the hobby. It's funny because the other day I had somebody ask me if they thought it looked like there weren't a lot of species available in the tarantula hobby lately in the U.S. They said, you know, I go on these sites and it looks like we're, we don't have a lot of stuff out there. And I was like, I, I beg to differ. I totally disagree. I think, especially compared to when I first got into it, there are a lot of new and unique species out there. A lot of you go to certain dealers and there's dozens, 90, 100, 120 species available. And some of them are unique ones. You know, again, not to... Not to downplay some of the awesome ones we have, like the Gramostola species and Brocky Pelman stuff, but we're talking like Senestis, things of that nature, species that you don't see all that much, some that you have to go and immediately go to Google because you've never heard of them before. I think our diversity as far as species that are available right now is amazing, but how long will that last? A lot of times you see species come in and you're like, first time offered in the hobby, first time offered maybe in Europe, first time offered in US, and they sell out and you never hear from them again because the people that buy them aren't breeding them. Them. So therefore, they pulled the a bunch. Who knows where they got them from? Hopefully, sometimes it's you know your first captive bred sack, and they all go out, and that's it. You don't hear about them again, and that worries me because with the species, especially some of these new ones that are coming in, if somebody doesn't take the reins and start breeding them, they come in and you never see them again. If you go to Arachnoboards, and Arachnoboards is an amazing place because there's so much history there with not just great information, but a history of some of these species coming in. Every once in a while, there'll be a thread when somebody will go, remember these guys, these spe this species, what happened to them? And it, it's sad because you go back, you can go back to like 2000, I think it was on one the other day, it was 2005, and I can't remember what species it was, but it was one of these ones that apparently had come out, all these people had gone gaga over it, and they never saw it again. Nobody bred them. That was it. It was gone. So I do think we need to be aware that we take for granted sometimes the fact that these guys are going to be there forever. I think in the hobby, a lot of times it doesn't come down to... 
how do I put this nicely? People will grab something up because they want to have it to brag about it and show that they have it. They're not thinking about the hobby in a whole and thinking, all right, you know what? If I pick this thing up, then I probably should plan to breed it to make sure that there are more of them. There's always, there's been a discussion many times that I've been part of where people will complain about the high prices of some of these species of tarantulas that come in first time, like especially in the US. If you get something that was the first time offered in the US, you're spending hundreds of dollars on a sling. And I've heard people go, well, that's ridiculous. Everybody should have the right to buy this animal. And those high prices keep people from getting it. And I disagree because what happens is when they come in that high price, sure, somebody's making some money off it, but somebody also paid money to get it over here. What ideally should happen is the people picking them up are should be the ones that are investing in breeding projects. They want to, they're paying top dollar for these spiders, not because they want to show them off in a YouTube video or post pictures on Instagram. They want to get them, raise them up as quickly as possible and breed them to get more of them in the hobby. And what happens is when people go out and buy their quote unquote, we'll call them trophy spiders so that they can show them off and they just take their time growing them up and they sit in a collection and they show some pictures and everything and they're not bred. Well, then guess what? They disappear. Here. And I do think that's one of the reasons why it's good that some of these new species are kind of cost prohibitive because it keeps people that might be casual hobbyists, people that aren't really into it, that they don't really see the bigger picture that we need these guys in the hobby, we need to breed them. It's more about I want to show it off. And again, there's I don't want to sound like I'm you know, coming down hard on people. Like, I get it. I, I totally get the idea. I think any of us that collect spiders have that push that desire to have that species, that holy grail, that jewel of the hobby to be able to show off to people. I have it. There's ones I look at me, man, I'd love to have that in my collection to show people. But then in the back of my mind, I also, there's been ones I'm like, I'm not going to pick those up because somebody else is going to pick them up. That's a much better breeder than I am and breed these and get them in the hobby. Somebody like a Tom Patterson that knows what they're doing, that can take these spiders. I mean, if you look at what he offers, I love looking at his list because he's breeding species. Sometimes some of them are older species that we haven't seen in a while and he's still breeding them. He gets new ones in and produces the first ones in the United States. That's huge. We need more people doing that. Unfortunately, Joe Schmo goes out there, gets, you know, 500 bucks from a tax return, picks up one of these slings. It's the first time and probably the last time they'll be offered in the U.S. and then raises them up and never does anything with it. That doesn't really benefit anybody. Those things disappear. So I can think of a lot of ones that I picked up a bunch a few years ago. I picked up a lot of unique slings from Fear Not Tarantulas that I wanted to grow up into adults and breed. And I've noticed that a lot of these guys that I picked up, you don't see offered very often at all, which means I had a bunch of Harpactera species I picked up. And I'm finally starting to get some females and I'm starting to look for some males because they came out. There was a bunch out there. I grabbed a bunch. Tiny sent me a bunch of them. They're raised up and they're starting. Hopefully the females will be maturing pretty soon, but... I don't see a lot out there. Like, I don't see them offered very much anymore. It's kind of like one of those one-and-done things. Like, hey, we got the species in. First time in the U.S., second time in the U.S. Everybody bought them up, and now that's it. They're gone. We need to breed more. So, again, I'm guilty. That's one thing I'm really excited about with the new tarantula room is there will be a breeding area. I'm going to be much more active in breeding. The problem here when I do the breeding is that it's me taking the spiders out on my dinner table and parking in the middle of the living room with dogs running around, people running around. There's never a quiet time in the house. It's just not conducive to that. Where in the new house, I will have an area specific. I'm planning on building an area that'll allow me to kind of corral any spiders that decide to bolt when they breed. That I'll be able to relax and sit there and watch them breed and not have to worry about interruptions. But again, it's also tough for me to find the time between doing the videos and the podcast to get it done, but I do see a need to start breeding more in the future. 
Hopefully more people actually start breeding some of these guys because they will disappear. There will be a point. I, I don't want to be in one of those conversations years from now where I'm going, yeah, I remember back in the day we had the, the Pisolotheria species. Oh, they were beautiful. I haven't seen one of those in years. That would be heartbreaking. As it is, I already worry about that, you know, a few years down the line, I'll be telling people, oh, I used to have these amazing little spiders, the e pachypus, the stout leg baboon. Unfortunately, we don't see those around anymore. So I guess the moral of this whole thing is the fact that we can't take these species that we have for granted. There are going, and I think, unfortunately, I think the original question was more like which species I think may disappear. And that's a really tough one to project. Again, the one I'm most worried about right now is Pisolotheria species. But are there other ones that could disappear from the hobby? Absolutely. I think in the hobby, we have our, you know, our hobby staples, our Cicchino pubicins, our... Caribbean aversicolors, our Brocky species, our Afonopelma species, our Gramostola species, many of the Brazilian species, you know, the Theraphosa. We have the, the standard models, the ones that, you know, they're well established. There's always going to be a demand for. They're not just New World species either. You know, you think of HMAX are always available. The OBT is, again, less prevalent than I think they used to be, at least in my estimation. But you can usually find those out there. The Salmapia species, Cambridgei, Armenia are usually pretty popular. There's there's certain ones you just see. And if you go across, if you look at a bunch of different vendors, they're the ones that everybody has in stock because there's a bunch of them. But that's a small amount of the species that are currently available. There are a lot on there. They're on that procured. They're kind of in the middle where there's a decent demand for them, but if somebody doesn't get going breeding them, they're going to disappear. Then they're the one and dones. Those are the ones that are, they come into the hobby. We get them their first time bred or they're imported here in the United States. We get a cap, a couple captive sacks. They get out there, a bunch of people buy them up and you never hear from them again. Those are the ones that scare me because every once in a while, something new, cool comes out and it's like, wow, these are great. And then you never hear about them again. So I do think it's something that many of us take for granted. I absolutely did take it for granted. I mean, bottom line, I put the Oethlis parvulus on my best tarantula species list because I thought it was going to be a species that was going to be around. I thought these were going to get popular. I thought it was going to be something, I know at the time you couldn't, they were a little more difficult to come by, but I thought, all right, we're going to talk about them and they're, people are going to breed them. We're going to get more of them. Obviously, somebody's got to be breeding these things. And I was wrong. And that was a big wake up call for me because that was a spider that I expected, you know, at some point everybody was going to have one in their collection and now very few do. So yes, we do take it for granted. We can never let, you know, for those of us who are in the hobby for the long run that want to see these species come in we we always have to keep this in mind and we got to make sure that people understand this that there's not just an endless supply of these guys coming in that just like anything just like a tv show that isn't getting the ratings how many good great tv shows are out there you know draw a kind of strange analogy like those great TV shows that you absolutely love. Everybody agrees they're amazing, but unfortunately not enough people get into them or hear about them and watch them, and then they disappear. They stop making them. It's kind of like the same thing with tarantulas. We have some awesome species that come in. Everybody's like, wow, have you seen these? They're gorgeous. They're amazing. I've never seen anything like it. But then not enough people get interested in them. Not enough, you know, there's nobody producing them, and then they disappear. That's something we always have to worry about. So, again, predicting, I don't know if I can predict. I, I guess if I really sat down with a list, I could mark off some ones that I thought, you know, that I think might not be around in a few years time. I really don't want to do it though, because it's kind of depressing. And I don't, again, there's no way to judge. I never would have thought we'd get to a point where I could hop, I, I would hop online and not be able to find P. Murinus, the OBT form, it, just something I never even considered. So do be cognizant of that. Again, this isn't, I don't want this to be like a doom and gloom kind of thing, but I do think it's something that we every once in a while need to stop and ponder. 
when it comes down to it, it's a privilege to be able to keep them. It's not, you know, a guaranteed right and it can be taken away. There are, I know there are states in the United States where you're not allowed to keep them. We have some weird rules in my state where you're not allowed to sell them. There's a, we are not guaranteed the right to be able to keep these things. It's, it's a very, it's an ultimate privilege that we're able to keep these animals and breed them and have the trade that we have. And I think it's always important to recognize that, that this isn't guaranteed, that they could go away, that we could lose some of these species and never see them again. And in some cases, for those of us who like to imagine that we're going to be the ones protecting these guys as they are, you know, they lose habitat and they are, they disappear from the wild. We like to pretend like we're the ones that are protecting them and keeping them alive. And and I think there is some truth to that. And I can also, we had an interesting discussion the other day where we talked about the fact that we are also partially to blame. But for those of us who want to take that idea and say, you know, we're keeping these guys, they could be gone forever and that's it. They wouldn't be in the collections and they might not be there in the wild. And then we have nothing. So Anyway, something to keep in mind as you continue to collect and build your collection and look at new species. Again, I I encourage people that if you're out there looking at those brand new species that are costing hundreds of dollars, please make sure, you know, if you get males, try to find somebody that has a female so that we can get more of them out there, somebody that's going to breed. If you don't feel comfortable with breeding them, Again, I've just admitted the fact that if somebody doesn't breed them, that might be the first and last time you see them. But if you don't feel comfortable breeding them, it might be best to back off and hope somebody picks them up that does know how to breed them. And then later on, we get more slings that are a little bit cheaper and we get more of them into the hobby. Just something to think about. I think, again, I know it won't deter everybody. I know there's going to be times where it's just like, you know what, I've, I've got my tax return in. A tax return season's a big one. And I want to take some of this money and treat myself to something nobody has. I get it. I totally get it. We've all been there. But just keep that in mind that as we go forward in the hobby, some of these species, you don't want to, we, we want to avoid as many of the one and dones as possible. We want to get these new species in. We want to get a nice little healthy supply of them going so that we can continue keeping them going through the hobby. So that's it. I don't want to sound like I'm being preachy because, again, I, it's not a preachy thing. I just think it's something that I need to think about every once in a while, too, because I've been guilty of picking things up and I planned on these, had these huge breeding aspirations and then I don't get around to it and I start to feel guilty about it. So it's, it's on me, too. So, That will do it for this one. Again, if you're the one that asked the question, I probably didn't completely answer it correctly, and I can always address it in another podcast. And thank you for posing the question. So please come forward and let me know. Shoot me an email or message me on Facebook or or drop a comment on Facebook so you can get the credit you deserve. As always, you can find me on thomasbigspires.com. You can find me on Thomas Big Spires' YouTube channel. That will do it for this episode. I have three dogs currently snoring in the background. I keep pausing it to kind of ruffle them up, pet them, and try to get them to stop snoring for a minute so I can finish this one up. So we're going to call it here. But uh, as always, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.